Hello and welcome to today's VJ Humong podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. This podcast series will feature selected sessions from the 19th International Workshop on Non-Hodgkin Lymphoma, which was held in Barcelona, Spain. In this session, you will hear from Laurie Sen, Carmelo Carlo-Stella and David Strauss, who share some insights into novel therapies being explored in non-Hodgkin lymphoma, drawing focus on the role of antibody drug conjugates. Hi, I'm Laurie Sen from BC Cancer, and I'm here with my colleagues today, Dr. David Strauss from Memorial Sloan Kettering, and Dr. Carmelo Carlo-Stella from Humanitas University, Milano. And we're here at the IWNHL meeting in Barcelona, and we've just finished a really interesting session on novel therapies. We discussed several novel agents that uh, have been recently developed, and um, some of which have actually made their way to recent approvals based on exciting data. So we're gonna just summarize a little bit about what we learned today. So David, you presented exciting data on brituximab vidotin and uh, with some updated analysis that really has confirmed an overall survival benefit in patients. Yes, it is uh, really an honor to present this data, which is very exciting. Uh, brituximab vidotin uh, in two recent large randomized trials has shown a progression-free survival and also a survival advantage. One of these is CD30-positive peripheral T-cell lymphoma, including ALK-related anaplastic large cell lymphoma, and the other is classical Hodgkin lymphoma. Uh, the data from, uh, from the T-cell lymphoma was uh, recently updated at five years and the survival advantage uh, in the Hodgkin study was shown at six years. This is the first time in either disease that a randomized trial of a new regimen compared with standard of care has shown a survival advantage. I think it is you know, remarkably impactful data. So I have to say in my own clinic, um, we've been presenting the data from the original study when there was a progression-free survival advantage and patients were generally presented with the option to you know, add in the BV and over the ABVD for Hodgkin lymphoma. But you know, now with the overall survival advantage, um, I'd say that uh, it's really been ingrained now as what we would consider to be a true new standard of care regimen for Hodgkin lymphoma. Yes, I agree. I think that's the gold standard. And even though the results in both arms were excellent, this is deaths. And there was a 41% uh, decrease in the risk of death from the BV plus ABD regimen as compared with ABVD standard. Mm -hmm. And it is impressive to think that that overall survival benefit has actually emerged quite quickly. I mean, we know that there are other novel therapies for Hodgkin lymphoma, and these patients you know, certainly could have gone on to get other treatments with prolonged survival. So the fact that we are seeing that uh, at what I would consider still a relatively short time point is actually quite impressive. Mm -hmm. I agree, thank you. Um, there have been many trials through the randomized trials through the years uh, comparing standard of care with other regimens or modifications of them 
Several of them have shown an advantage in progression-free survival, but this is the first time that one has shown a survival advantage. So I think it does really elevate this, since you're really talking about deaths and not just relapses, which might be effectively treated with other treatments, I think this uh, does strengthen the case that it is certainly, I think, a preferred standard of care. Mm -hmm. So Carmela, you presented data on another exciting antibody drug conjugate, which has recently received approvals in some jurisdictions, so lonkestuximab tesserine. Why don't you update us on that data? Yes, I discussed uh, uh, the updated data of lonkastuximab tesserine in uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in the relapsed or refractory setting. Uh, this uh, setting is still uh, an unmet medical need and uh, Loncastuxiab was started being developed in this field uh, a few years ago. Uh, the, the study I specifically discussed is the Lotus II phase two trial, uh, which uh, uh, led to the registration of uh, uh, Loncastuxiab by FDA. Uh, this study was performed in patients that were highly predicted, very high risk, uh, with uh, at least 60% of them being refractory to last treatment. And uh, despite all, Loncastuxiab showed uh, a general activity in this uh, heterogeneous patient population with a 48% uh, overall response rate and a 25% complete response rate. The duration of response is substantial, more than uh, one year in responding patients. This means that uh, even uh, if uh, the curative potential of Loncastuxiab uh, is uh, limited, uh, uh, but the, the agent qualifies to be very promising, used in combination with other drugs uh, for, uh, uh, in the context of uh, curative uh, tr uh, trials, uh, testing uh, uh, more, uh, novel combinations in this, uh, in this uh, uh, area that is now very rich and very uh, uh, attractive uh, because of the uh, uh, diffuse number uh, of different agents that can, are available and can be appropriately studied. So I, I think it is very important data and, and an important agent to see developed. You know, there's this tendency because we've had several agents approved in the relapse refractory setting to try and compare data across trials, but certainly this trial had what I would consider to be uh, a multiply treated patient population um, with most patients having had at least three lines of therapy and beyond. So I, I think it's really difficult to compare across the different trials and, and you know, compare benefit. But clearly in, in really what was a highly treated patient group, I, I think the results are quite impressive. And as you said, it was a very well-tolerated drug. So we all have patients in our clinics that are not suitable for some of the other options. And it certainly is you know, going to be a good thing to get our hands on um, more tolerable options for these patients who inevitably you know, need to go on to subsequent therapies along the way. And one interesting aspect of this drug is that uh, it's very well tolerated uh, in elderly patients. We made a comparison of toxicity in patients uh, below 65 and patients above uh, uh, 65, up to 75 year old. And uh, Lonca was always well tolerated in, 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 in the very elderly patients. So that uh, now uh, there is a, a, a randomized trial ongoing in uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma uh, 
uh, non-transplant eligible uh, uh, patients. Uh, so essentially uh, the enrolled patients are uh, elderly below uh, above uh, 70. Uh, uh, and this is testing uh, LONCA plus rituxiab versus uh, rituxiab uh, plus gensidabine and uh, 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 oxaliplatinum. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so th I think that there's no question antibody drug conjugates have made their way firmly and established them as real options for non-Hodgkin lymphoma. As part of the session, I also presented the Polarix trial, which explored the addition of polituzumab vedotin, another antibody drug conjugate, in this case targeting CD79B, as part of upfront therapy for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. So Polarix was the large phase three trial that compared head-to-head -head our current standard of care, RCHOP, versus POLA or CHIP with the vincristine omitted to avoid, again, overlapping toxicity in patients with untreated DLBCL. And what that trial showed was that in a head-to-head -head comparison of over 400 patients in each arm, so a fairly large trial, the primary endpoint was significantly improved. That was progression-free survival with the addition of the polituzumab. Um, and at the point of analysis, which had a median follow-up of about 28 months, there was not yet an overall survival advantage, but patients receiving RCHOP were much more likely to need to go on to secondary therapies, including stem cell transplant and CAR T-cell therapy. So I think that that data certainly has served to um, be quite compelling in that it's the first randomized trial that we've had in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in untreated setting that's actually met its primary endpoint and it's now emerging as a possible new standard of care for those patients. So we're still waiting for um, full approval in Canada and I know it's not yet been FDA approved but it has been approved in the frontline setting by the EMA and is that something that you have available in your own clinic now? Yes, this is a, a, a EMA approved uh, this combination a, a few months ago, and uh, we have started using the combination in first line patients. Uh, we are still discussing whether to use uh, this combination in all uh, the LBCL patients or whether to select uh, uh, those uh, that have some uh, uh, risk factors, or uh, for example, to avoid the use of this combination in patients with early stage disease, uh, just to uh, eliminate any risk of potential uh, toxicity in, uh, in patients who don't need to be to, uh, any further addition to the conventional RCHOP. But for sure, the combination is a significant advantage because after 20 or 30 years, uh, we finally have a randomized study showing that there is a survival uh, a PFS advantage with a, uh, an addition of a new uh, agent to our shop. Yeah, it's, you know, it's been a challenge to make progress and I think everybody's excited to finally see a trial that really is showing an impactful difference. Well, I think that it certainly was an exciting session. It's been an excellent meeting so far. I thank you for your contribution and for enlightening us today. Um, and we certainly look forward to more exciting data emerging from all of these novel agents that I would say is, are really transforming patient outcomes in, in real life. Thank you, Thank Laura. you. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Humong and subscribe to VJ Humong Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. See you next time.